Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a blowout. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits on a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. We got a good one today. John Smoltz is back joining Flippin' Bats. Uh, came on a good bit last year. Got to the point where he was coming on every week, which was really cool for me growing up. Growing up a big Atlanta Braves fan, big John Smoltz fan, and now he comes on Flippin' Bats a good bit and he's back to start this year for the first time we're going to talk about all the new rule changes his thoughts on all of them as a his thoughts on what they would have been as a player uh, as they are now calling the game his thoughts on the world baseball classic being back out on the golf course this one's going to be a blast John Smoltz is always uh, a good brain to pick and uh, it's always a lot of fun having him on so without further ado let's get to it and welcome in Hall of Famer John Smoltz all right, and I am happy to be joined now. He is back. We were together a bunch last season, and now for the first time this year, let's welcome in John Smoltz. John, thank you for joining me again, my friend. My pleasure. It's fun as always. First question, it looks like you're in a golf clubhouse, so I have to ask, how's the golf game going right now? You're back on the course, I think. How's it? How's the, how, Are you in good shape? Well, um, you know, my mind still thinks I can do things my body hasn't let me do. But with uh, the hip replacement and one on the way, I am having the time of my life because minimal time away, less than four weeks away after hip replacement, I started hitting balls and started (laughs) thinking about playing golf again. I invented a new game. I invented a game that I think is going to take the world by storm Mm -hmm. and I'll get all the details out, but it's tennis golf. Okay. It's you hit a golf ball with a tennis racket and you play a golf course from about 55 to 5,800 yards. You can use a putter when you get on the green, but every shot has to be with the tennis racket. And so that's how I did my rehab. I did that for about a week, um, ended up breaking 90, shot 86. And then once I could hit golf clubs, I went right to the golf course. So you're hitting a golf ball with a tennis racket. Yeah, that's right. All right. And you can, you know, what I learned about that is, there's a maximum of 128 yards is the world record for hitting a golf ball with a regulation tennis racket. So many people think you can hit it farther, but you can't. So you're limited in scope of distance, which brings everybody in the same area. But then the shots around the green are phenomenal. Touch shots, flop shots, you name it. Try to cut it a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I had That's how I rehab. That's how I make up games to try to get through my rehab. So I got the little carrot you know, in front of me that uh, keeps motivating me. So it is not like hitting a golf ball with a metal baseball bat. No, not at all. (laughs) Not Uh, at all. All right. I like that. We'll have to play sometime. It sounds like par would not be 72. You got to bump it up a little bit. Correct. All right. Good to know. All right. I'm already learning. All right, John, let's talk about some baseball. First off, uh, we're a little over almost two weeks into the year. Opening day has come and gone. And I need to ask you about opening day because – you know, I looking at you and your career, 
obviously a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, postseason-wise, certainly an all-time great, almost a full season worth of pitching in the playoffs and some of the best numbers of all time. However, opening day for you, not exactly the case. ERA over six. I don't think ever an, an official win on the mound on opening day. What was it with you and opening day? You know, opening day for me was probably more anxious. Couldn't wait for the season to get going. I wanted to get off to such a good start that I felt myself just not comfortable till about three, four starts in. And look, I, I got used to digging myself out of holes, whether it was a tough ERA early in the month and rallying back. I'm a rhythm pitcher. You leave spring training with all these aspirations and goals, and all you want to do is get off to a good start. And for whatever reason, in the opening days, which weren't many, I think I only had four. One was by default. Somebody couldn't make it. I was always behind Glavin and Maddox, which was fine. Um, even in 1996, I lost my first start and won my next 14. So, you know, that was a dream year. But most of the times it wasn't the perfect the perfect start in opening day. And that might be the only time in my life I had jitters. I never had jitters in the postseason. The transition from uh, spring training to the regular season was a difficult one for me all day games, routine, getting coordinated. And then all of a sudden night game, here we go and change the routine, get used to it. So maybe that's part of my uh, DNA that just didn't set well. But after I got going, I, I, I settled it. I also remember we were talking at the, the World Baseball Classic about spring training. And you said something that um, stood out to me, which was, you know, I would show up never knowing when I was going to find my fastball. And it was always, luckily, I always found it. But it's always like a thought in the back of your head of, is it still there? So obviously in spring training, you're working on a bunch of things. You're wondering different things that you aren't during a regular season. So was it ever, you know, when it got to the point of opening day, was it ever a, a point of I, you didn't exactly have your stuff yet? Was that a reason for not being great yet? Or it was just the transition into the regular season? It, it could have been. I, I dealt with something that a lot some pitchers deal with. And it was every spring training I'd go through fluid under my arm. Uh, it was basically – you know, and we got to remember we were going to postseason every year, so off season wasn't much time to get ready, and we kind of shut down. So to kind of crank the arm again and build my into my my general fastball for whatever reason, I would get fluid under my armpit, and it would take a while to get used to my fastball again. And unfortunately, I had it every year. I, I did go to spring training worried about it, thinking, "Man, what if I don't have my fastball? The yeah. late life on it." And so that was part of it, and that was part of the routine I had to adjust as I got older. And, you know, once I got into a routine of the season, minus any setbacks, I felt pretty good. But, yeah, going to spring training just kind of crossed my fingers saying, all right, give me that fastball one more year. And luckily <laughs> I had it most of my career. You never – you said you never got jitters in the postseason, but opening day was a different beat. You're a, you're a Hall of Famer. What did, what did the jitters look like for you on opening day? Well, you knew that, you know, it counted. Um, spring training, you work on all your stuff. You hope you're ready. You hope you got your mechanics down. Uh, you want to start off great. You want to start off with a victory. You want to ideally not give up any runs. You, you know what faces you on opening day with the reality of, like, if you give up a clunker, it's kind of like, shoot, I just gave up six or seven runs. So it was more for me wanting to set my good foot forward and, and set up, a, a you know, in the right direction. And sometimes I didn't do that. And I had to kind of get back to pitching and getting out of that little hole. And I'll never forget, even as a closer, my first real first game at home, I gave up six or seven runs as a closer and it just went, here we go again. But I got used to 
uh, that being a long season. And usually somebody would say to me, hey, John, there's a reason 162 games, your numbers are what your numbers are. So relax. Uh, I felt that way when I hadn't started a game in five years and I was closing and then went back to starting. I was a wreck that first start in Miami and I gave up, I think, six runs in an inning and two thirds. So that part of my Luckily, I didn't have that in the postseason um, because I had already been through a season where I felt, com- you know, already in a in a rhythm. But early on, it's the same thing in a golf tournament: first swing, first hole, first round. Yeah. For whatever reason, I, I kind of my heart races a little faster, and then it slows down. And thankfully, there's three or four rounds in a golf tournament. Not a big early season guy, noted. <laughs> um, John, we are now. Like I said, about two weeks into the year, and this year is different than any other in Major League Baseball with these new rules. And specifically, the pitch clock, the limiting of the shift, the bigger bases. And I feel like we've had a big enough sample size where I can ask you your opinion on them. So first off, just as a whole, what have you thought the these new rules have done for the game of baseball? I've always said I love every one of them. I think they're going to have consequences that are going to be phenomenal for the action part of the game that maybe was lacking a little bit. The game was filled so, with so many superstars, so many great athletes, and so much knowledge and technology that the game started slowing down for a variety of reasons. Philosophically, how they went about playing the game and, from a player's standpoint, how they processed the game. So they had to slow it down. And unfortunately, the game got to a point where the rules had to come into play to speed it back up. I love it. The action we're going to see greatness again. We're going to see great defensive plays again. We're going to see athleticism and speed. Um, it's not going to be like going back 30 years ago, but these guys are different. They're built different. And so they'll learn how to play the game quickly, and it'll be like it never. It, there was never a rule change in, in a month. I liken it to when you think about college basketball, and everybody usually gets upset when people make changes in sports and change rules because for one reason or another, they're changing a rule because it exposes something or the commissioner doesn't like something on where the trend of baseball or a sport's going. Mm-hmm. Remember when they uh, put the shot clock in college basketball and everyone was like, oh, man, no one's got a chance. But who wants to see somebody hold the ball for 20 minutes to take one shot? So all these things are coming to sports to enhance whatever the moment of that sport is going through. And this is going to be awesome. And you're going to see great baseball. Um, when I say you're going to see great baseball, you're just going to see more of it. Yeah. You're going to see more action. There are going to be less dead time and less time where people are going to spend on their phones in the, uh, in the stadium, and they're going to be glued into what kind of action is coming up next. So let's start with the pitch clock specifically. And, and as it currently sits, one, I, I guess first let me ask you, do you like how it currently is? Do you think there's any tweaks that need to be made? It's 15 seconds with nobody on base, 20 seconds with somebody on base. Do you like that? I love it. But here's what people have to understand, Okay. That part's not going to be as hard as people think. What's going to be hard is the conditioning that current players have taken in their sport to, let's just talk about throwing as hard as you can as many times as you can do that. Well, now, when you have a pitch clock, you're going to have to be cardio uh, in shape. You're going to have to really have your legs under you because now you can't do that for six, seven innings and not be in good shape. So that's a big part of the the, the pitchers of always and typically always should be in the best shape on your team because they have nothing but time to run and get ready for their start. So closers coming in, throwing 100, that's going to be interesting. Starters who throw at 98, 97, that'll be interesting. Pacing themselves within the pitch clock. But I love it. Nothing has to be tweaked, and I promise you, there won't be many violations again. Give it another week, and you will not be talking about many violations 
uh, on either end of the spectrum. How would you have done with the pitch clock? Well, see, we were always promoted to go. I mean, matter of fact, people stepped out more on our pitching staff than ever because we were ready to go. We were taught throw strike one, get the action going, keep your defense in the game. If you throw strikes and you're and you're quick about it, there's no time for any lull and your defense is going to want to play behind you. Can you imagine Maddox and Glavin taking a minute between <laughs> each pitch when they're a contact guy yeah. and the defense will be on their heels? So that was never going to be an issue. Um, but every player, when they see a rule change right away, their system goes, Oh no, wait, but then they learn how to adapt and they'll be fine. Unless we're ta- talking about throwing with a different ball, using a different bat, something that is really going to affect the performance. I don't think this is going to be that, that big of a deal. What about for you as a, as a reliever, did you change things up at all? Or as a reliever, were you still pretty quick out there on the mound? Yeah, I still had the same approach. I wanted to get outs as quick as possible. And the thing that's going to change for pitchers is the ability to hold runners on, which hasn't been great because it wasn't a valued commodity. Base running was not something, I guess you could say, analytically a philosophy that was implored based on the way that they valued an out and the ability to steal a base. Now that they're enticing that to happen, pitchers who could not hold runners on before are in big trouble. And that is going to be something they either worked on or can do or, or cannot. And they're going to have to deal with that aspect. As more fast, athletic guys come into the game, that is going to be more and more of an issue. And I'm telling you now, the teams that thought they couldn't compete with the big boys, the running aspect is going to be the way that you make havoc on the bases and havoc on those pitchers and score a lot of runs. So I know that kind of leads right into another rule, which is the bigger bases. And I know you said you love all of them, so I won't even ask you your opinion there exactly. Bigger bases, we are seeing more stolen bases already. So my question for you comes with um, some of the rules around it. Are you a fan of the limiting of the pickoffs over knowing that the more you pick off, if you pick over two times, pitchers most likely not going over, really benefits the runner being able to steal there? I am, because here's what, what, what every pitcher has control of. Don't let them get on. <laughs> if you don't let them get on... <laughs> You don't have to worry about how many times you're limited to throw over there. And this is what we need, though, from action standpoint and strategy, because reality is if you can get on base now, all these things come into play. Right. And so if you can't hold runners on, the speed guy's got an advantage. There's a, there's a roster spot for him. But more importantly, there's going to be more action in the in the game in itself. Because the teams that put the ball in play now really are going to benefit. Singles come into play. And the defenders that can defend, the defensive teams have an advantage if you got the best athletic defenders in there because no shift. So I think all of these things are going to be outstanding for the game. And you're going to see things we haven't seen in a while. And rightfully so, because the reward system was the way it was you know, before these rules and everyone took advantage of it. I don't have a problem with that. But I think what people got to understand is that when the action got limited, that's why the committee and the commissioner went to these rules to try to create more action. It's not that the game or the players um, were doing anything other than what they were told. It's just the action was limited. And when the action is limited and the time of the game goes up, you're going to have some changes moving forward. And this is what they are. And it's going to be great. So I, I've had a question about this specific rule with the pickoffs over to first base since this came about. And it hasn't I haven't found an answer to it. Maybe you have the answer. So let me ask you a question. Pitcher picks over to first base two times, right? You can't pick over anymore. If you do and you don't get the guy, it's a balk and the runner gets second. 
So let's say the base runner on first base after two unsuccessful pickoffs gets a 20-foot lead, right? Pitcher picks over, gets the guy in a rundown, picks him off, but gets him in a rundown, and the runner gets back to first base safely. What happens? Technically, three unsuccessful pickoffs. I wonder. Yeah, I mean that is that that's a that's a good brain teaser there, and um, the rule states, and it would be something that would need clarity. If you do not pick him off, uh, then you definitely uh, lose him to second base. And to your point, you've picked off and gotten him in a rundown. Therefore, if he gets back to first base, <laughs> that would be like picking off at first, and the guy misses the tag. So. That's a that's a great question and yeah. one that again within these rules don't think everybody's going to try to figure out ways to try to tweak this tweak that take advantage of this yeah. and that and you're going to see a third outfielder come in and, and play at what would be a typical shift because tip right now there's no rules against it but now you're going to have to play without a left fielder or at least <laughs> you're going to play with two outfielders and we've seen that happen already and it will happen with particular players but here's the good thing about that. If you hit a ball in the air in the outfield, you're going to get severely rewarded yeah. because it's going to be hard to cover all that turf. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times now that this will – I don't want, I don't know if it's exactly even the playing field, but a lot of these smaller market teams that do things differently other than, let's say, teams like the Yankees of the past few years where it's been very much so home run or, or a lot of strikeouts. Now it's kind of these smaller market teams that do things differently, can get on base and run the bases – what are some teams that come to mind for you that are really going to benefit from these new rules? Yeah, and that's a great point because when you put the rosters together for the last three years, I don't know how many had in mind that this was coming. And if, the, if they did and they got ahead of the curve, but the style that they play is going to be enhanced with these rule changes, whether it's Milwaukee. Arizona has a lot of speed. They get havoc on they, – they can beat you up on the bases. So can Milwaukee athletically. And I think for the San Diego Padres, look at their defense. Look at their infield defense and what they can do get, taking advantage of the no shift because they've got elite defenders pretty much everywhere in the infield. So the teams that put it in play and have speed, they're really going to benefit. When you think about even the Atlanta Braves and some of their speed and Acuna and Albies when they get on track. So there are some, some players that maybe we're going to take notice of that typically we didn't before. The Kansas City Royals of old, would have loved this, right? But that didn't exist then. So they they modified their own style with speed and contact, and they put pressure way back in the 80s. And I think you're going to see more of that. And I think teams that typically didn't think they can compete with the big boys in the rosters now have a way, without putting the ball over the fence all the time and without striking out 16 times a game, they have a way to create the different kind of pressure that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, you mentioned the you mentioned the Diamondbacks. That's a team that I I don't know if they knew this was coming, uh, but like you said, if anybody did, they're ahead of the curve, and it feels like everybody in that lineup for the D-backs is capable of running. And we look at how how competitive they are, and we just saw them in a series with the Dodgers recently, who couldn't have been in in you know on further ends of the spectrum. And now it's it's clearly leveled the playing field to a bit where they're just running all over everybody and forcing other teams, and that's what's going to happen, as you mentioned. Other teams are going to have to figure out the art of picking off again and slowing down the run game because it's clear right now slowing down the run game is not something that's been on anybody's radar. No, and, and that'll be the adjustment. And because now that, that you have teams with 
spe- specific talents um, that will give them a, an advantage. It's a copycat league. I mean, everybody started doing the same thing. And, and what is the separator that takes that team to five to six more wins on a season? And this could very well be the, the, the ability to get hits, get on base, m- maneuver and move over runners. But it still comes down to the basic principles. If you pitch it well, if you put the ball in play and you defend it, you've got a chance against anybody. And yeah, the three-run homer has been king for a long time, but I would argue now that the level playing field of the guys who just can mash, uh, start the smaller market teams that can can put together a lineup that can put pressure on pitchers are going to have equally as much of a chance to score as many runs. John, last one for you before we go, but I saw you a couple weeks ago at the World Baseball Classic, so I need to ask you about it. You were on the call there. Uh, It ended up being an absolute blast, so... I want to get your thoughts on on the World Baseball Classic. It wasn't around yet when you were uh, at the beginning of your career and wasn't even a thought yet. Now it's here. You're on the call for it. What are your thoughts about the World Baseball Classic? Well, I hope it gains momentum from this regard. We got to get over the mindset that, you know, if you do it, you're going to get hurt. Um, We got a star-studded lineup for the first time in a long time. Uh, We need to get some of the stars in the rotation to uh, acknowledge that this is something that they can do and it isn't going to hurt them. I never went to spring training once thinking I was going to get hurt. And we get guys hurt all the time in spring training. So it's it's something we kind of – we emphasize and magnify what the, when this comes around once every four days. Look, you're not going to get a, a, a player coming off an injury. Oh, I totally understand that. You're not going to get a player who made a deep run in the postseason as a pitcher. I get that. But I think we can get some pitchers to buy in knowing well in advance that this is coming to it, to get ready – and prepare and mentally deal with whatever comes their way. Because it is a blast once you put on that uniform. It is a change in your mindset. It's a change in the structure. But I'm telling you, if you deal with it mentally and you approach it in a way that I get to put the USA uniform on my chest, you'll never regret it. And I think that's the momentum gaining from the star players who have committed this past year and telling the story of how unbelievable this was. And it's once every four years or once every three years, however they do it. And I think we'll gain momentum that way. I know in your career, the strong majority of it, you were in the playoffs. But let's put that aside for a second. Would you have Would you have participated in this tournament? The latter part of my latter part of my career, for sure, it would have been a blast. I played in the Junior Olympics, put the USA team on, represented our country. Unfortunately, I lost two to one to Cuba in the gold medal game. But I would have loved to have put on a USA uniform and mingled with the guys that either I was competing against uh, or teammates. And to me. The latter part of my career, this would have been a no-brainer for me because my my getting ready for spring training was no different. It, it wasn't I wasn't a max effort guy. I, I was a guy that was trying to get my arm ready, make pitches, and I would have done the same thing. If you're a max effort guy, that's a different story. I get it. If you're letting it eat every single time, you probably uh, need a different routine uh, and not ramped up as much. So I think there's ways to satisfy everybody and know that you know playing baseball uh, for the most part is a long sport and it's a tough one but if you do things the right way and have the right attitude i think you survive it john always a pleasure having you on my friend one i'm happy you're back out on the golf course and two i'm happy you're back uh, on flipping bats so thank you my friend always a pleasure my pleasure thanks for having me of course see ya all right just wanted to thank john smoltz again for joining me always a fun conversation really interesting hearing his thoughts on everything honestly i am i don't want to say i'm shocked about the new rules but I mean, he clearly loves every single one, and I tend to agree. You know, I I do think that some of them 
could be tweaked a little bit, but I think the game is heading in such a good direction, and these rules are ultimately going to help. And hearing from him as a player, he would have loved them, and currently he, he thinks they're huge for the game of baseball. That was really cool to hear. And also cool to hear him say that a lot of these rules are kind of going to even the playing field in baseball and a lot of these smaller teams. And he mentioned the the Royals and, and the Diamondbacks and, and the Brewers. Some of those teams are now going to be able to compete with, with the big dogs. And I thought that was a good point. So uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. John Smoltz is going to be on a good bit throughout the year, which is really cool for me and hopefully really cool for everyone to listen to as well. But this does it for another episode of Flipping Bats. Make sure you're following, subscribed, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch every single episode as well on YouTube at Flipping Bats Pod for all of them. Well, for another episode of Flipping Bats, this does it. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, this has been another episode of Flipping Bats.